Good morning. Have you ever looked forward to something that you feel like you've been looking forward to forever? You can't remember a time when you weren't anticipating this great event. It feels like perhaps your whole life has been moving towards this climactic occurrence. But the closer it gets, seemingly, the further away it is. You begin to wonder if it will ever happen. A generation could come and go while you're waiting for it. 29 years. I wasn't even an adult the last time it happened. A new generation has now grown up who tragically hasn't known it at all in their lifetime. But maybe this year. Clearly any discerning individual in the hall realizes I'm talking about Liverpool winning the top division of English football for the first time since 1990. Winning the modern Premier League for the first time. We believe. Now, perhaps you don't quite share my fever pitch, cold sweat, will they, won't they anticipation, nor my confidence that this is the year, but time will tell. However, maybe there's something climactic, dramatic, that you can think of in that place. What will you do to celebrate? How will you mark that eventual achievement? How will you note that success in a fitting way? Today's message is entitled, Coping with Success. Now, I'm sure that might evoke a few wry grins. I imagine if one were to put on a self-help class called Coping with Success, it might not be the most oversubscribed, for a few reasons. A lot of people might wish that it was relevant, but regrettably are not struggling with the problem of success. Or perhaps you think that if you did have this problem, well, you'd somehow manage and really don't need instruction on it. Yet when you look at the world around and those that might be deemed successful in the world's terms, and when you see how many in that situation cope with it, and how badly wrong their lives can go, perhaps we need to think again, to think about godly, biblical success, to think about a right and Christian response to it. Now, I am acutely aware that for some people this morning, you might feel your life is a million miles away from there being any relevance to even the notion of success. I'm aware that for some people, you may be dealing with what feels like quite the opposite. Please don't switch off. Do hang in there because there will be words of relevance whatever your situation. Let's turn to God's Word. And if you have a Bible or a device, can you please look up 1 Kings 8. We have a long passage to read this morning, but it is worth it. So please do bear with me. We're going to read 1 Kings chapter 8, 22 to 61, or most of it. So get ready for a long stand. But before we do, let's set the scene. The temple of the Lord has finally been finished, the long-awaited temple. 
And now it's a scene of national celebration as the people gather in Jerusalem and Solomon their king is about to dedicate the temple to the Lord with an amazing but very long prayer. So let's stand as we do in Windsor for the public reading of God's word. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or in earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant, David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hands you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done. And now, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Lord my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day. This place of which you said, my name shall be there. So that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. When anyone wrongs their neighbor and is required to take an oath, and they come and swear the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing down on their heads what they have done, and vindicating the innocent by treating them in accordance with their innocence." When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave to their ancestors. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. When famine or plague comes to the land, or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, or when an enemy besieges them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people Israel, being aware of the afflictions of their own hearts and spreading out their hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act. Deal with everyone according to all they do since you know their hearts. For you alone know every human heart so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave our ancestors. And down to verse 46. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies who take them captive to their own lands far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they're held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you've chosen and the temple I have built for your name. 
Then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you and cause their captors to show them mercy. For they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of that iron-smelting furnace. May your eyes be open to your servants' plea and to the plea of your people Israel and may you listen to them whenever they cry out to you. For you singled them out from all the nations of the world to be your own inheritance, just as you declared through your servant Moses when you, sovereign Lord, brought our ancestors out of Egypt. When Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out toward heaven. He stood and blessed the whole assembly of Israel in a loud voice saying, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in obedience to him and keep the commands, decrees, and laws he gave our ancestors. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. Take your seats. <clears throat> We're going to look at this passage under three headings this morning. Look back, recognize and remember. Look forward, prepare and pray. And look now, commit to obey. So firstly, look back, recognize and remember. Do you know what day it is today? No, not the day of the week or the date. What is it we are to celebrate today? Because in our crazy modern world, each day is notable. Every day is special. There's something to mark, something to note, and some cause to uphold. On the national day calendar, you have two choices for today. It is either National Random Acts of Kindness Day seemingly very suitable for a Sunday. Or the other option is National Cabbage Day. Maybe potentially worrying as you think of your Sunday lunch. Personally, I'd vote that the random act of kindness for all concerned might be to give the cabbage a miss from the dinner table. But although in our world, at times seemingly trivial things are noted and celebrated, by contrast, our passage today highlights a pinnacle moment in the history of the people of God. This was something that they had been waiting for for so long. From the nomad days in the desert, wandering around with the tabernacle that foreshadowed the future temple, to the occupation of the land, from the establishment of a king after God's own heart, David, to him being told he was not the one to build the temple. He made all kinds of preparations, yes, but it was his son Solomon who comes to the throne and carries out God's commands to build the temple. Long years of waiting. Many years of preparation, but never seeming to get to the point of actually starting to build. Does any of this sound familiar, Windsor? And yes, whilst of course there may be some parallels to our building project, 
To make that the application today would be doing some injustice to the integrity of the biblical text. But yet, there is a definite parallel. It took Solomon's men seven years to actually complete the building once they started, so let's hope the parallels stop there. But the day had finally come. All the tribes and families of Israel were represented. It must have been an incredible crowd gathered before the temple. I struggle to imagine and picture it. I suspect it was a vast crowd of people as far as the eye could see as Solomon stood in front of the temple. It coincided with the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, reminding them of their time in tents in the wilderness. But now here they were before possibly one of the most impressive, grandest buildings of the ancient world at that time. This was undoubtedly a mountaintop experience, a pinnacle moment. This was clearly a time to celebrate and note the success of what had been long promised and finally built. And as Solomon stands before the altar of the Lord and spreads his hands out to heaven, I can imagine the crowd going silent, not a pin dropping. People almost afraid to breathe as they wait for their king to speak. In noting true success, the first and most important thing is to attribute the cause and reason for the success. And Solomon makes no mistake about that. Look at verse 23. Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way, you have kept your promise to your servant, David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Solomon has no doubt where the credit is due. He knows what true success is. It is God's purposes being worked out, his promises being fulfilled, the will of God being carried out. That is true success, and that is worthy of note, recognition, celebration, and joy. Praise God, he has done what he said he would. At times we think our lives don't have any success to celebrate. Perhaps we think that way in church life too. Maybe we've fallen victim to measuring things by the world's scale. We can miss so much. What has God done in your life? What promises has he kept? What prayers has he answered? Okay, yes, honestly, at times, we wish there was more to note there. But in our lives, in our church, how have we seen God work? How have we seen him answer and prayers and keep promises? We need to look back and recognize the hand of God at work and remember what he has done. Visas granted, missionaries sent out, the word preached, babies born, young people brought up in his ways, his truth taught, students reached with the gospel, the sick helped, the hurting comforted, God's people growing in godliness and in intimacy with God, guarding their hearts. And yes, number 14 sold, bank loan nearing completion, and a building project finally getting underway in the next few weeks. Is God at work? 
Is he answering prayer? Is he fulfilling promises? The devil would love us to miss all that, to ignore it, to think it isn't much at all, to write it off. But we will celebrate the success of our God as he works in our midst in these days. We will not let it go unmarked. Give praise to God for the success in our lives and in our church because the praise and glory for it is due to him. There is no God like him in heaven above or on earth below. And did you note the result of Solomon praising God for answered prayer? What did it lead him to do? Look at verse 25. He's getting greedy. He's just noted what prayers God has answered, and here he is already back with more. Previous promises kept are the foundation of prayers for future promises fulfillment. Let me say that again. Previous promises kept are the foundation of prayers for future promises fulfillment. Or as Roger Ellsworth puts it, great praying is born in great awareness of the greatness of God. Yet unlike the world around us, where success often leads to pride and self-congratulation, Solomon here at this time shows true humility. Although he's dedicating this truly amazing, majestic temple building, look at what he says in verse 27. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot continue. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Lord my God, hear the cry and prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. Solomon shows godly humility even at this pinnacle moment. This is possibly the highest point in the history of God's people Israel. It possibly doesn't ever get any better than this. Yet Solomon still has a true and right awe of God. As great as this temple may have been, he knows it cannot contain Almighty God. He knows it is a sign of God's presence with them, and he humbly prays that God would hear them when they pray towards the temple. In our busy lives, it can be so easy to keep running forwards and not take the time to stop to note what God has done and is doing in our lives and in our church. Don't miss what God is doing. Don't fail to celebrate the true godly successes that are the result of God answering prayers and fulfilling promises. But celebrate with godly humility, giving praise to God. Look back, recognize and remember, and let it move you to ongoing humble prayer to our amazing God. Secondly then, look forward, prepare, and pray. Have you ever had a moment in life where you just want to press pause and stay there, if not forever, for at least a long time? One of those rare, perfect moments where you realize life is good, things don't get much better, and you want to savor it. 
I'm sure we can all think of such moments. I think of standing at Glacier Point with our family looking out over Yosemite National Park in the sunshine, marveling at God's beautiful creation and enjoying that incredible view and not wanting it to end. But even in such moments, we do know it has to end. It was the same with the disciples, Peter, James, and John, when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Peter got so excited and went all fanboy on Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, offering to build them tents so they could all hang out and chill together. But the moment had to end. They had to come down from the mountain. Solomon was wise enough to know this too. As he stood there in front of the temple with the nation gathered together to celebrate, he too knew that you can't live on the mountaintop. As notable as the moment of temple dedication was, as much as they praised God for his goodness and fulfilled promises, Solomon knew that difficult times would also come. He knew that they had to look forward and prepare and pray. If you skim over verses 31 to 51 that we read, you will see Solomon list at least seven different situations of which six are certainly difficult. Despite celebrating the success that God had given them, Solomon wanted the people to be prepared for what the future may bring. Verse 31, when a neighbor sins against you. Verse 33, when an enemy defeats you. Verse 35, when drought comes. Verse 37 onwards, famine, plagues, enemies, disaster, and disease. And there's a recurring theme in each of these situations. When the people of God are faced by these things, the first thing to consider is, has it arisen because of sin amongst God's people? It wasn't the case in every situation listed here. But when difficult or hard times come in our lives, we have to consider that our own sinful actions may have contributed to them, at least in part. Certainly not always, and many difficult situations arise in life without any connection to personal sin. This shouldn't be something to beat ourselves up about, but we do need to examine our hearts. Solomon urges the people to turn back to God, to turn away from their sin, to give praise to God. He prays that God would then hear from heaven, forgive their sin, restore them, teach them his ways, and that God would act in mercy to restore the land and to provide for his people. Sometimes it can be just after our greatest moments of success that we can be at our most vulnerable. Think of Elijah with God's power triumphing over the prophets of Baal and then seeing rain come on the land after he prayed for God to end the drought. Yet almost immediately afterwards, Elijah comes apart and is laid low. He hits rock bottom. He needs restoration in a quiet place. Have you ever felt that? Perhaps you feel that way right now. Maybe even without having enjoyed the success that's apparently supposed to come first. Solomon teaches us that times like this are to be expected. What are we to do? Come before God and humbly ask him to search your heart. Is there sin in your life that he's seeking to point out? 
things that you need to repent of and turn away from? Has your heart grown cold? Have you turned away from God? Come back to Him and ask for forgiveness, for mercy, for restoration. Plead that He would hear, forgive, and act. There is no place in life that is too far from God. There is nowhere He cannot hear you. Look at verses 46 to 50. God's people being carried off to a foreign land. What is Solomon talking about? There they are standing in the majestic temple courts in Jerusalem at the peak of Israel's strength. Where is he getting that from? It's thought that the first readers of the book of Kings are most likely the people of God in exile and captivity. Some think Kings was written by Jeremiah, the prophet in exile. As those first readers laid low in captivity, far from the promised land, read these words, what an encouragement not to give up, to repent, to pray, to plead before God. And as far as they might be from the remains of the physical temple, these words remind them that God hears from heaven. There is always a way back. There is always hope. So if you're on the mountaintop of success right now, praise God. But remember the need to look forward, prepare, and pray. Be ready for difficult times and know that God will hear you and answer. And if you're already in the midst of those difficult times, search your heart. Pray. If appropriate, ask God to forgive. Ask Him to restore. Finally then, look now. Commit to obey. What message does Solomon want his people to take away from that day of celebration? What does he want them to remember? A great day out? A rocking party? Look at verse 54 onwards. He's finished his prayer although technically he's about to pray again. He stands from where he'd been kneeling and speaks again in a loud voice. He's back to praising God once more. He can't help it. His words are full of praise for his God. It just flows out of him. And in verse 57, he prays that God would always be with them, that he would never leave them nor forsake them. But he has words and prayers for his people too. Verse 58 May he turn our hearts to him, to walk in obedience to him and keep the commands, decrees, and laws he gave our ancestors. And also verse 61, and may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. Acknowledging what God has done for them, realizing who God is, the great majestic God, the God who answers prayer and fulfills promises, must lead to a response. It's not enough to just praise Him with your lips. To stop there would be so wrong. If all we do this morning is sing a nice song of praise, we've stopped short. There must be a whole-of-life response to a God who graciously gives such good things to His people. Solomon calls the people right there and then that day to commit to obey their God. Hearts turn to him. People walking in obedience, keeping commands, hearts fully committed to the Lord. And how is that shown? 
living by his decrees and obeying his commands. Does that describe your response to the God who has done so much for you? Does that describe your life? Is your heart turned to God? More than that, is it fully committed to Him? Do you walk in His ways, live by His commands? I know if I'm being honest, I often fall far short of that. My heart is frequently distracted by other things, my own desires, things of this world. I'm perhaps more concerned by my own measure of success or comfort than by realizing true godly success in my life. I lose sight of what God has done and is doing. I then get weighed down by those difficult seasons of life, and I don't fully commit to God and walk in His ways. Before long, my heart is cold. By contrast, we need to remember what God is teaching us through Solomon this morning. We need to stop and deliberately take time to note what God has done in our lives and in our church. We need to list the successes that God has brought from the smallest to the greatest, the prayers He has answered, the promises He's fulfilled. We need to give Him praise for this. We look back, recognize, and remember. We're reminded to look forward to prepare and pray for when we face difficult times, and in those times to search our hearts, repent, and ask God to restore. And through it all, we need to commit to obey our God. We need wholehearted devotion to Him, walking each day in His ways, seeking in His strength to follow His commands. Although perhaps some of the shine gets knocked off of this passage, Wonderful pinnacle moment. Solomon showing true godliness and humility, a great example of a king rightly leading his people, giving honor to God, instructing them, calling the whole nation to follow their God through thick and thin, from success to disaster, from mountaintop to exile. Yet, without hopefully giving away too many spoilers for the upcoming weeks in our series, we know that things don't stay that way. We know that the godly king interceding here for his people before too long fails to heed the words he has shared with the nation. As we think of that, we can be discouraged. Solomon lets his people down. He lets us down. Other Christians will let us down and disappoint us. Even Christian leaders will too. If only there was a king anointed by God who didn't disappoint us. If only there was a wise, godly king who truly knew the workings of God, recognized them, led his people in praise for what God had done. A king who wouldn't fall when the troubled times came. A king who would stand strong, who would remain faithful no matter what. A king who would forever be standing before God, interceding for his people. If only we had a king like that who right now today was standing before our God, mediating for us, praying for us, working on our behalf so that we might with his help and strength be able to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to obey our God this day and each day this week as we go out from here. 
Praise the name of Jesus. Our perfect king, our mediator, always interceding for us.